say welcome to those of you who are joined with us uh, here in the room this morning. Also want to welcome welcome our online uh, church family joining us via live stream as well. So happy that you're here with us. If we haven't had a chance to, to meet yet, my name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here at New Life, and we are going to be back in our Love and Light message series this morning as we unpack the first letter of John together. Uh, we're just kind of past the halfway point in the book. In fact, after today, we, I think we just have four more weeks left, but a lot of really good stuff to kind of unpack and chew on together. And so I'm excited about uh, today. I'm excited about the next few weeks. I hope that you are as well. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it or open up your app, head to 1 John uh, chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to camp out the first six verses of chapter 4 uh, together this morning. Um, but before we dive in, let's pause and ask for God's help. God, we, uh, we come to you, and God, forgive us. <laughs> forgive us for, as we just sang, the ways that we live our lives that perhaps are not honoring to you. Forgive us for the ways that we uh, come to you in ways that are maybe not pleasing to you or self-focused or self-served in some kind of way. God, this, this really is all about you. It's all about King Jesus, God. And so would you, would you center our hearts and our minds now on him? Father, I know uh, the world is uh, so chaotic. When you look around the world, it could be super discouraging, God. Sometimes even in our own homes, things are chaotic, and work is chaotic, and school is chaotic, and er everything around us can just kind of seem overwhelming at times, God. So... We just invite your Holy Spirit to, to be here, to be present with us, to be uh, here with us in a way that Mike just described, that we'd be able to actually sense your presence. This isn't just about us or a band or songs or a message or anything else, that ultimately this is, this is about you. And so God, would you give us freedom of heart? Would you give us freedom of mind just to hear what it is that you want to say to our hearts this morning, God. So, Father, would you just get me out of the way? Would you hide me behind the word? Hide me behind your son so that these people could hear from the living God of the universe this morning. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let me ask you a question as we get rolling here. Uh, can you think of a time when someone or something deceived you? So just kind of jog your memory. Think of a time when you were deceived, tricked, hoodwinked, whatever you want to call it. I'm guessing some of you can think back to even a, maybe an experience you had this week you know, at work or at home or at school. You're like, man, that guy just totally tricked me. Uh, maybe you can think back to a further time back in your past, your life. You're like, man, I thought I had this person figured out. I thought I had a bead on this situation, but come to find out. Man, a totally different situation than, than how I had it read, how I had it pegged. Now, maybe for you, you're kind of your younger years, and maybe for you guys who are in like middle school, high school, college age now, like you had that time where you had this relationship with someone else, and you thought in your mind that it was a kind of a budding romantic thing on this crush, only to find out that you got put in the friend zone, right? Which is the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? Cheryl, my wife now, when we first started dating uh, in college, we had been dating for a few weeks, and she tried to put me in the friend zone. Can y'all believe that? She broke up. We're going to have a talk about that later. Where's, where's my wife at? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, call, I called her up. She tried to put me in the friend zone, and I said, meet me at the bell tower at 10 p.m., and you know it's serious. 
when you're meeting at the bell tower. And I went over her heart. She's been madly in love with me ever since that day. But some of you have had that experience where you got put in the friend zone and that ain't no fun. Or maybe for you, uh, you got an email from a wealthy Nigerian prince. So y'all are laughing because you got the same email, didn't you, right? And he's dying and he's got $50 million and he just needs somebody to take it off his hands and it happened to be you. And all he needs is your bank account and routing number and he's going to take care of you, right? And so I actually looked up some of those emails. I just want to share one. Maybe you got this one uh, at some point in your life. It says, dear friend, my name is Prince John. I'm 59 years old. Uh, I'm in a hospital in Dubai. Recently, my doctor told me uh, that I would not last for the next six months due to my cancer problem. In parentheses, cancer of the lever, L-E-V-E-R. That's a dangerous kind of cancer when you got the cancer of the lever. You can always tell when the English is flawless, it's legit, all right? I'm, I'm giving my money away because of my health condition and the fact that my second wife is a terrifying woman to deal with. Marrying her was the only mistake of my life. She's currently managing my company, but I know what she's capable of. She has sold her soul to the devil himself, and I do not want her near my money. I need you, sincere assistant, to help me move and invest a sum of $9.2 million. Regards, Prince John. Now, if you fell for that, man, you had it coming. That's on, that's on you. Don't, don't be gullible, right? Now, the truth is, for me personally... When people deceive me, uh, that's irritating, right? That, that's kind of upsetting when it happens to me. But if someone tries to deceive or harm one of my kids, man, the lion's coming out of the cage, right? The old Irish mobster that's buried in my gene pool from generations ago, he's making an appearance. Now, parents, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There's this protection thing that we have with our kids. Well, John, the Apostle John, who's writing this letter, same way. He's writing to a church in Ephesus, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He's pastored these folks for many, many years at this point. These are his spiritual children. And John is ferociously protective over them against anyone who would attempt to deceive them or lead them astray. Now, if you're just joining us, let me just kind of give you background context. John, Jesus' best friend, has been a pastor in Ephesus for a number of years now. Scholars believe at this point when he pens this letter, he's an old man. He's likely in his 90s. And he's writing to them in part because there are these false teachers who have emerged, emerged within the church. Talked about this a few weeks ago. They were called the Gnostics. And what Gnostics believed that the, was that the spiritual was good and the physical or the material was bad. And so they taught that, well, because God is spirit and he's good and the human body or the material is bad, that, that Jesus could not have been fully man and fully God. So they started believing all kinds of different heresies. And even though they still would have considered themselves and called themselves Christians. Now, how, how many of you know just because you claim to be something doesn't make it so? Right? Because I can tell you till I'm blue in the face right now that I'm a six foot ten NBA basketball star that can do a reverse windmill dunk. Now you know that ain't true just by looking at me, right? Like that boy is white and he's five foot nine, and I would be surprised if he could touch the net, much less do a reverse windmill dunk. Right? That was the case with the Gnostics. They claimed to be followers of Jesus. They claimed to be Christians. And yet, John says they were walking in spiritual darkness. 
And the kicker for John seems to be that they were attempting to lead these authentic believers in the church astray. And so John is walking up with a spiritual baseball bat in hand to protect his spiritual kids. Now last week, you may remember if you're here, we left off talking about God as love. So the first half of the book is is really God as light. And then the last half of the book shifts from God as light to God as love. And then how we ought to love one another as spiritual siblings in the family of God. As we receive this extravagant love from Jesus, then we're then to show that extravagant self-sacrificial love to one another. And so just want to read you the last couple verses we left off on last week to set the stage for this week. This is where we left off, 1 John 3 last week. It says this, and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. There's that love piece. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments, so again, there's this connection we've been talking about the whole book between love for Jesus and obedience to his commands, right? We cannot separate authentic love for Jesus with obedience to his commands. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So last week, John introduces us to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, right? And he said, hey, the Holy Spirit, he is the one who empowers us to live and love as God does. And now in chapter 4, he's about to tell us that there's a spirit that comes from God. Again, introduced us to the Holy Spirit last week, but he's about to tell us there's also many spirits that come from the evil one. Many spirits that come from the evil one. Now, here's the danger for us as believers in modern times, is our enemy doesn't show up wearing red spandex holding a pitchfork like the dude at the Super Bowl halftime thing the other day, right? That's not, that's not typically how he shows up. Most often he comes disguised as beauty and truth. And I would argue deception is our enemy's greatest tactic, oldest trick in the book, right? We go back all the way to the fall in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent's conversation with our first parents, Adam and Eve. What did the serpent say to Eve? Do you remember that conversation? Did God really say? Did he really mean it, though? I mean, look at this fruit. This looks amazing. Just think how refreshing and awesome this fruit is going to taste. And more than that, it's actually going to make you wise as God is wise. Now listen, deception is only effective because it seems right and good in the moments. Again, it doesn't come cloaked in red spandex holding a pitchfork because we would then reject it immediately. It's normally clothed in a way that seems right, seems good, which requires incredible discernment for the follower of Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you, uh, for me, so me know a little bit of my story. I grew up overseas as a kid, got married. We moved to uh, another country in, in Asia for a few years as adults. And so I've always struggled with sort of this uh, schizophrenic uh, internal worldview. And here's what I mean by that. There's, there's part of my brain that processes the world around me like a Westerner, right? So anthropologists will tell you the kind of two main categories of culture or worldviews in the world. You have the Western culture, which is kind of the individualistic culture. That's the United States, Canada, Western Europe. And then the rest of the world is what's considered kind of a communal culture or communal worldview or an Eastern way of looking at things. So half of my brain, because of the way I was raised, kind of thinks and views things like a Westerner. But then there's another part of my brain that functions more in a Eastern kind of communal worldview which is one reason why I'm probably socially awkward at some time so sorry about that but here's what I've come to know in the West we have become 
ignorant to the interplay between the spiritual and the physical realms. We've become ignorant to the interplay between the physical and the spiritual realms. Now, if you haven't traveled much, you may not be aware of this, but outside of the Western world, nobody questions this. Right? Like you can fly to Asia to today. You could fly to Africa, South America, the Middle East. You could talk to educated people on the streets with PhDs, medical doctors, college professors about the spiritual realm, and immediately they're just like, yeah, I know. And they would start telling you of the ways that they have experienced and interacted with this unseen spiritual realm. Like they think it's nuts that we are ignorant to it in the West. They think we're crazy. We're the ones who are uneducated. And I say that to say this to you this morning, friend, there is a lot going on around us that we do not see with our physical eyes. And because God wants to illuminate some of these realities, lest we be destroyed by them. And so let me just go ahead and give you the first truth right off the bat, even before we dive into the text this morning. Number one on the screens, you are in an invisible war, whether you realize it or not. You are in an invisible war. In fact, the day you were born, you were cast onto the battlefield of a spiritual war, and its fingerprints are all over your life. In fact, I am convinced much of the pain, much of the conflict in your relationships and my relationships, maybe with your parents, maybe with your kids, maybe even within your marriage, the temptation patterns towards sin in your life, that little voice that whispers lies in your ear, none of those things are accidental or coincidental. Here's why. You have an enemy, an unseen enemy whose goal it is, is to kill and destroy everything good and godly in your life. Now, John, John assumes that his readers understand this unseen spiritual realm. I'm not sure that we in the Western world do, which is why I've taken a few minutes to kind of set that up so that we might better understand what he's about to say to us. But you are in an invisible war, friend, whether you realize it or not. First John chapter 4, let's start in verse 1. He writes this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So here we are. We're now talking about the spiritual realm. Beloved, do not believe every spirit but rather test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now here's what I think John wants us to know right out of the gate. Listen guys, information is never neutral, it is always spiritual. Let me say that again. Information is never neutral, it is always spiritual. John is saying to these believers 1,900 years ago, he's saying to us today, you have to, you have to look at the spiritual forces behind anything and everything. Every book you read, every podcast you listen to, every social media influencer that you follow, every song you play on the radio, every movie you watch, every sermon you listen to is communicating something and there's a spirit behind each one of those things. And John is saying, hey, believer, don't be gullible. Don't be naive. Just because something sounds good or seems right doesn't make it so. Let me ask you a question. Just because someone uses the name of Jesus in their teaching or writing, does that mean they're actually from the Lord? No. Just because somebody has the title of pastor or Christian author or a spiritual guide or whatever it is, does that mean that they're actually being led by the Spirit of God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, I can remember maybe 
10, 15 years ago, there was a popular Christian book that came out, man, and churches and Christians just ate it up. They made a movie about it. I never watched the movie, but I read the book. And look, I get it. The book was good. Like, it was entertaining. I enjoyed it. Gave me the warm fuzzies as I read it. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you the name of it. If, if, if this is your favorite book, I'm about to blow your world up right now. But it was called The Shack. Y'all remember that? There was only one problem with it. You know what it was? It was full of heresy. Modalism and all kinds of stuff. Just full of garbage. Like really dangerous spiritual poison. Folks just ate it up. They're church, churches, man. They're giving it out to their youth group, the whole nine yards. Now here's the danger for us. Here's the danger for us as spiritual people. Now I'm assuming you're here, you're watching online because you're a spiritual person. You're in tune with that part of your being. And as spiritual people, we can tend to be drawn to those who claim to have a special revelation or a special connection to the divine or God himself. Right? So some pastor or some spiritual guru shows up on the scene and he talks in kind of a soft, soothing, Bob Rossi voice and tells us how awesome we are and how God wants to make us rich, healthy, and happy if we just follow their five little methodology things and buy their books and subscribe to their podcast. And listen, Folks, eat that junk up. I'm just telling, listen guys, this is how cults start. Because we think, hey, hey, listen, this person, this guy, this gal, claim to know God, they talk about the Bible, they use the word Jesus, so he must be good. And John says, nope, wrong. Test the spirits. Don't be gullible, don't be naive. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes, a young pastor named uh, Timothy that he mentored. This will be up on the screens for you. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says this, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In other words, these ideas that veer away from orthodox biblical teaching, even if they have some Jesus dust sprinkled on top of them, are not just slightly misguided benign teachings. John says they are actually demonic in nature. That there's a spirit behind these teachings, but it's not the Holy Spirit of God. It's the spirit of demons. Like, do you see why this is so important? Why he's drilling down on this for us? This is not inconsequential for our lives. In fact, in some ways, our spiritual health hinges on the ability to rightly divide what is from God, what is from his spirit, and what is not. He continues, he writes again to Timothy in another book. This young pastor, he says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So what Paul is telling young Timothy, young pastor, is, hey, listen, there's coming a day when people will no longer gather in the church to hear a word from God that they, they then, then have to reorient their lives around that word. Now, they're going to find teachers that tell them what they want to hear so they don't have to change anything in their lives. They're going to find teachers that just kind of affirm and pat anything, pat them on the back about anything in their lives. And they will, John, John said, he said, or Paul says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, which leads us right into truth number two and what John is telling us. Believer, we have to learn to test everything. 
test everything. Listen, guys, life is a lot like uh, walking through a, a minefield in a war, right? Now that, that field may at first glance look like any other field that you've ever walked through. But unless you, you learn what to look for as you walk through that field, like, hey, may, may, maybe the, there's a little bit of soil that's displaced right here. Maybe the, the grass is not quite as green around this area as it ought to be. Maybe there are slight elevations and dips that are just a little bit unnatural to the terrain. Unless you learn those things so that you can discern what is actually safe and what isn't. Man, but if you just walk through that field, you just skip through that field, you're going to get absolutely blown to smithereens. That's true in the physical world. It's true in the spiritual world. So John is saying, listen, guys, we have to test everything that we hear, everything that we see, everything that we read. Listen, guys, that's why I encourage you to open up your Bibles here on Sunday morning instead of just looking on the screen. Lest you be deceived by me. Like, I'm not the authority here. The Word of God is. Right, so if I ever say something that contradicts the word, you go with the word and you forget what I say. We have to, we have to test everything, test everyone. And listen, y'all, I would even go as far as to say we even have to learn to test our own thoughts. You want to know why? Nobody lies to you more than you. Have you realized that? Nobody lies to you more than you. And so just because you think something doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it true. That's why this whole notion in our culture of like, hey, just be true to your inner self. Just follow, just let your, your own heart be your guide. Man, that's why that notion in our culture is absolute lunacy. Like, listen, y'all, that is the dumbest thing you could ever do. That is why 2 Corinthians 10 says that we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Even our own thoughts that can lead us astray. So John is saying, no, 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 listen, we, we have to learn to test everything in the culture, every teacher, every podcast, every book, even your own thoughts. We test everything to determine, is this from the Spirit of God? Because if it's not, it's from another spiritual source. And ultimately, John is saying that's from the demonic realm. We learn to test everything. So just to rewind so far, you were born into a spiritual war, whether you realize it or not. Maybe that's news to you today, but it's true nonetheless. Truth number one. Truth number two is we have to, as believers, learn to test everything. So you're in a spiritual war. Because of that, you've got to test everything. The question that you may be asking is, how do I test those things? Like, that sounds good, but like, what's, what's the test? Like, what's the filter? How do, how do I know if something is from God or it's from another spiritual source? Like, how, how do I know? Well, John's a good guy. He has anticipated our question, so he's going to give us two tests, all right? We'll start with the first one in verse 2. He says this, by this, here's the first test. By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, they get the gospel right, they're from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So test number one on the screens for you is what I'm calling the Jesus test. The Jesus test. In John's day, it was the Gnostics that were denying that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but I think in every generation, our enemy 
the devil will take and distort and twist people's view on Jesus in one way or the other. Right? I think in our day, it would not be uncommon to hear someone say something like, yeah, like, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a good teacher. I believe he was a good moral example, that he was a great embodiment of love. Like, they'll, they'll kind of take those things and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus in that sense. But God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, like, was executed and three days later like you're telling me he was dead and then he resurrected back to life like he he healed people like he resurrected people from the dead like that's a stretch let's just stick to like the safer easier version of like he was a good dude maybe it was a misunderstood but ultimately he was just a good spiritual guide and what john was saying is this and listen up this is important for us this morning what john is saying is if you get jesus wrong everything else crumbles if you get jesus wrong everything else crumbles this is this is by the way where our jewish friends and our muslim friends and even more modern day cults like the mormons and the jw's falter and ultimately fail because they miss it on jesus and when you miss it on jesus the whole deck of cards eventually comes tumbling down around you now, let, let me just put it to you this way, and I would say this is kind of the, the big idea of the whole message John is trying to drive through this morning. This will be on the screens for you. Your life, friend, will either rise or fall on what you do with Jesus. Your life will either rise or fall on what you do with Jesus. Now, if that sounds overly dramatic, let me just explain what I mean by that. What you do with Jesus will absolutely, young folks, listen to me, influence who you marry. What you do with Jesus will influence the kind of career that you seek. It will absolutely affect the kind of friends that you attract into your life. It will affect how you invest your time and money. Ultimately, it will affect the very person that you become. So what you do with Jesus will determine, in a real sense, the entire course of your life. Which is why, friend, we don't just mindlessly ingest every book that comes across the Christian circuit or every teacher or preacher who claims to be a Christian or consume every podcast that claims to be from God because they could be poisoning your soul. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look like they're supposed to look they got the right lingo. They look the right way. They're saying the right things. He says, beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing to deceive you. But inwardly, Jesus says, they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. Look good on the outside, but they are filling you with poison. And so we, we test. And the first test is, what do they do with Jesus? Do they unashamedly proclaim Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, died a brutal, suffering death as atonement for our sin, the literal resurrection of Christ? Do they proclaim that he is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, not like God, not almost God, but fully God, as is the Father and the Holy Spirit? And if that is not the message, they are not from God, John says. That's the first test, Jesus' test. Second test, look at verse six. It says this, we are from God, John says, whoever 
knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now when John says we are from God, whoever listens to us is from God, who's the we here? When he says whoever listens to us, our teaching, who's he referring to? I actually never caught this until I dug in deeply uh, this week. John is using the word we here in the same way that he used the word we in the opening verse of the letter. So if you were here back uh, early January, you may remember this, but John opens the letter by saying, what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life or Jesus Christ. He's referencing the apostles, the guys who actually lived with Jesus and did ministry with Jesus, knew him, walked with him, and recorded his life and teachings for us. He's saying, whoever listens to us or the apostles' teachings, they are from God. Whoever rejects us or rejects apostolic teaching is not from God. Let me ask you a question. Where are the teachings of the apostles recorded for us today? The Bible. That's right. More specifically in the New Testament. And so here's the second test that John is giving us. If someone passes the Jesus test, they also ought to pass the second test, number two on the screens for you, the test of Scripture. The test of Scripture. Listen to what Paul says again to Timothy, a young pastor, in 2 Timothy 3. He says this, All Scripture, all Scripture, not some Scripture, not the Scripture that you like, not the Scripture that our culture is okay with. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'll say this to you today, friends, from a place of care, concern, and love. You cannot, you must not say, on the one hand, I believe in Jesus, and on the other hand say, I do not believe in something that he taught. Which is why, why I say oftentimes here, guys, listen, the Bible, the scriptures, is not like a buffet. You know what I'm saying? You ever been to one of the old buffets, Golden Corral, Ryan, someplace like that? That's, that's not what the Bible is, right? We don't, we don't come to the scriptures and say, hey, listen, I want, I want the filet mignon, and, and I want the mashed potatoes, and this chocolate cake over here looks really good. I'm going to have some of these skewers over here, but I'm going to, like the lima beans, I'm going to leave those right there. That's not how we come to the scriptures, right? It is an all or nothing proposition, So we cannot, we must not, for instance, say something like, I belong to Jesus, but I reject his teaching on X, Y, and Z. I love Jesus, but I do not accept his teaching on hell. Well, that's a problem because he taught about hell a lot. He believed in hell. We must not say, hey, I love Jesus, but I reject his teachings on on money and how everything that I have actually doesn't belong to me. I'm just, I'm like, I'm his steward. I ought to spend my money and and manage my money the way that he tells me to. We must not say things like, hey, I I love Jesus, but I reject his teaching on marriage, sexuality, or gender. Again, friend, because if that's where you are, you may be worshiping something or someone, but it is not the biblical Jesus. And that ought to be a terrifying place to be if you call yourself a Christian. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, great, my favorite preacher of all time, English pastor, 1800s, the way he put it, he says this, we, um, if you do not love the Bible, you certainly do not love the God who gave it to us. Hmm. The test of Scripture. Test of Jesus, number one. Test of Scripture, number two. 
something, someone, some piece of information does not pass through both of those filters, John is saying it is not from the Spirit of God and we must reject it. It's got to pass both filters. Something doesn't pass the filter of Jesus, doesn't pass the filter of the Bible, it's not from the Spirit of God, but it is from the Spirit of the demonic realm. And we must, we must learn to filter everything through the gospel of Jesus through his word. One last truth that I need you to see here and then we'll be done. This is the best part of the whole deal. Number four. Verse four, he says this. Little children, a term of endearment uh, from his pastor's heart. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. Now who's the them? False prophets, evil spirits that are behind a lot of these things in our world that seem right and good are actually from the demonic realm. He says, you are from God. You have overcome all of that. Why? For he who is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So that leads right into our last truth, number three on the screens for you. The one in you is greater, Christian. Christian, you need to understand the spirit in you is greater than the deceiver that's trying to tear your marriage apart. He's greater than the one trying to tear down your children, greater than all the addictions and temptations that are wrestling with in your life right now, greater than all of your enemies. The one in you is greater than all the spiritual armies of the evil one who rise against you. I want you to understand this. Listen, though the battle rages now, understand this, the war is already won in Christ. It rages now, but the war is already won. I'm going to share this incredible passage with you. This is Revelation chapter 12. Also the Apostle John, this is the last letter that he wrote. God has given him a vision of end times and how this age is going to come to a close and how God's going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth and right all wrongs and heal everybody and, and wipe away all tears. This is an incredible thing. And this is, what, this is what John says in Revelation chapter 12. He says, And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. Believer, I want you to understand we don't fight for victory in this battle. We're fighting from victory. Jesus has already conquered. The verdict is sealed. Jesus wins and we win with him. And so let's set our gaze firmly on Jesus in this life. Yes, let's be aware of the spiritual battles that are raging all around us. Yes, let's learn to test the Spirit's but let's do all of that as we walk in victory because our king has conquered. Would you pray with me as we're gonna prepare our hearts to worship? God, we come to you and ask that you would help us as Westerners in 2023. God, would you open our spiritual eyes and our, our hearts would you give us a glimpse behind the curtains of the heavens that we might see, that we might be 
aware of the spiritual war that is raging all around us. God, help us not be ignorant to that world. Help us recognize that much of the conflict in our lives, in our relationships with our parents, with our kids, with our boyfriend, girlfriend, with our spouse, with our neighbor, with our coworker, boss, that much of those things that beset our life and cause us so much pain, sorrow, loss, and stress, that those things are not accidental or coincidental. And we have an enemy who is wise and cunning and who has been at this for a very long time who knows our weak spots, who knows where to push the buttons of temptation and sorrow and depression and anxiety. God, help us not just write all of this off as coincidental. God, help us be alive and awake and aware of our enemy's work all around us so that we might engage in the battle that you've called us to be a part of. God, would you teach us to test the spirits? To not just consume or accept everything that comes across, God, but, but that you would give us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the gift of discernment, to know what's from you. And does it pass the Jesus test? And does it pass the gospel test? And does it pass the scripture test? And if it doesn't, God, would you give us the ability and the, and the strength to, to reject those things? God, but most of all, would you, would you remind us, as we learn to walk in a spiritual battlefield, one that we can't see that's invisible, but is every bit as real as the chairs that we're sitting on right now in this very moment. As we learn to test the spirits, would you remind us, ultimately, God, that we are overcomers and that the spirit in us is greater than the spirit who is in the world so that we don't have to walk in fear in this life. We don't have to be people that are just wrecked by anxiety, that we can walk through this life with our heads held high, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us leading us and that your victory is already won. It was won 2,000 years ago on the cross and the empty tomb, and we now get to walk out in the freedom and the victory of the war that you've already won for us. So would you help us to walk as conquerors? Would you help us be salt and light everywhere we go, in our neighborhoods, in apartment complexes, in schools, in college campuses, in workplaces, everywhere we go? God, that we would just reflect the goodness and the grace of Jesus in our lives. We ask and we pray all these things in the strong and the beautiful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's worship him.